Tim. Thank you so very much. Good songs uh, this morning. Good job on that one too. Isn't that a great song? We're going to focus on that song uh, this morning for our for our scripture time together here in worship. Okay. Will you not tell it today? I think the if you look at the top of the song, the young lady on the left hand, Jesse, way back in the late 1800s, she wrote uh, these words down. And then the name on the right there, Fillmore, he, he's the one who owned the company to be able to get the song out. And they, have, um, they did a good job. And now we're able to enjoy it here these many years later. Not just enjoy it, but take this and learn from it and to praise our God with it. Will you not tell it today? Quickly, three requirements we'll notice at the beginning, and then we'll come back to this song here as we make a conclusion. But I want to notice with you three requirements. If we're going to tell, if we're going to tell others about Jesus, if we're going to tell others about uh, the the cheer-bringing word, then there are, there are three requirements, okay? Let me go ahead and give them to you. We got to feel the burden. We must feel the burden of lost souls. That's requirement number one. Number two, we've got to have the evidence. That's number two. And then number three, we've got to believe in God. Those three simple requirements, let's Let's fill those out a little bit and then we'll return uh, to this song. Will you not tell it today? Requirement number one, we've got to feel the burden. We must feel the burden of lost souls. We've got to feel this burden. Jesus felt it, of course. Luke 19, 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he's about to die for the sins of the world. He looked over that city and he just cried out loud. He cried out because of the sins of the people. Jesus felt it. He really did. And so did the Apostle Paul. If you look at his words in Romans 9, okay, Romans 9. You know, if you're taking notes of what they taught us in school, and it worked for me, when you take notes, you write the number down first and then the word. Because you'll remember the word longer than you do the numbers. For most of us, for some of you geniuses, uh, it may not be that way, but for most of us common people, you write the number down first. So write Romans 9, 2, and 3. Write down 9, 2, and 3 and come back and write Romans later. So Romans 9, 2, and 3, Paul says, I have continuing sorrow and anguish in my heart. Why, Paul? Because a lot of his brethren, his kinsmen in the flesh, were not in Christ. They were not with Christ. You see, it affected him. It was a burden to him. And also Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 16. Acts 17, 16. He's in that city of Athens. And that city is wholly given over to idolatry. And Paul looked around and it says there that his spirit was stirred within him. Acts 17, verse 16. In other words, his heart was provoked by what he saw. He wasn't glad about it. It just wasn't interesting to him. It was a burden to him. 
If we're going to tell it today, then we have to feel the burden. The burden. Think about the call from above, the call from without, the call from below, and the call from within to be able to feel this burden. Okay, We won't spend much time on this, but think about it. We do have a call from above with the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, 15. Or Matthew 28, 19, go teach all nations, go make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28 and verse 19. There is this call from above. When the Lord commands something, then it should become something of a burden to us until we, until we get involved in obeying that command. It's a, it's a call from above. But there also is a call from without because we look around and we know that most folks walking about, they are not with Christ. Okay. And we have compassion uh, toward them. In Matthew 9, 36, 37, 38, 39. Matthew 9. Jesus, Matthew 9. Jesus, he looked around at the crowds and he saw that they were as sheep not having a shepherd. They were just scattered and distressed. Okay. The, the crowd, it's not that the crowds were trying to get into a ball game or something and were just running all over each other. No, it's their sp spiritual condition that the Lord was concerned about. They were scattered spiritually. They were distressed spiritually. And so he had compassion. His heart went out to them. You'll see that in the text, Matthew 9. His heart went out to them. He had compassion upon them. So the call from above and the call from without... And then there's that call from below, which is hell, which is hell, because that's where we're headed if we don't do the will of God. Hell, that call from below. The Apostle Paul speaks up about this in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, 8, and 9. Well, verse 8, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. He talks about Judgment Day. He says, the Lord will come in flaming fire in flaming fire, rendering vengeance to those who know not God and who obey not the gospel. These folks will uh, suffer eternal destruction, he says, away from the presence of God. It's just not good. I just can't hardly keep reading that passage. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. It's hard to read. But those who do not obey God nor his gospel, that's the... That's the outcome, and those of us who do not tell it, that will be our outcome as well. How could you say that? Well, it's not me saying it, you see. Jesus. You see what Jesus says in John 15? John 15. John 15, verses 2 and 6. John 15. Jesus says it. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Every branch in me that bears fruit, I'm going to prune that that branch so it can bear more fruit. But verse 6, John 15, every branch that gets withered up is broken off with all the other branches that are withered up and they are broken off and cast into the fire. See, we're not making this stuff up. So you think about, you think about this, having a burden for souls. Where does it come from? from above, from without, from below, and 
if we're sensitive at all, it comes from within. We'll have a good conscience, you see. And you can just look up the verses yourself. But there's a lot of passages about having, like 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. Good conscience. And so our conscience from within, that burden for souls, that's it. If we don't feel that burden for souls, we're not going to talk to others about, about the Lord. When there's not a burden for souls, we become, we become comfortable. We snuggle down in our comfortable Christianity. Okay. If we don't feel that burden, that's, that's the direction that we, that we go. Now, you know what it means to get comfortable and snuggle down. Okay. You know exactly what this means. It's, it's like 18 degrees outside, and it's about 8.30 at night, and you're chilled, and you find the corner of the couch, you draw your feet up under your body, and you've got a blanket over you, you've got hot chocolate sitting next to you, you've got the television on, or you've got your phone before you, you're in a place of comfort, you are snuggled down, you don't want to hear from anybody else, you don't want to get up, you're now warm, if you get up, you've got to feel the cold air again. Don't bother me. And if we don't feel the burden for souls, we get that way in our own Christian living. Don't bother me. I'm comfortable. I'm com don't bother me with this door knocking business. Don't bother me with this list. Don't bother me with things that, that's got to be done. I am snuggled down, you see. That's why this burden for souls is so very important. If we don't feel this burden for souls, we begin to change our views that maybe, maybe those outside of Christ, maybe that's going a little far to say they're lost. Maybe they just have a different point of view. Maybe they're not lost. Maybe, they're, maybe, they're, they're see, maybe they see things a little bit different. They're not, they're not lost. Why would you say lost? We say lost because Jesus said lost. Jesus wanted us to think about those who are saved, those who are lost. You know, what was his point? What was his point? What was his point in Luke 15? What was his point in Luke 15? There was a complaint against Jesus. Jesus, why are you spending all this time with, with publicans and sinners? And then what did Jesus do in Luke 15? He gives us three stories all about something being lost. Lost sheep lost coin and then the prodigal son a lost boy this my boy when he came home this my boy was lost now he's found this my boy was dead now he's alive that was the whole point of jesus and we got to listen to him so first we got to feel the burden for self now the second requirement is we got to have the evidence okay we're nothing about the evidence Jesus, when he worked and he taught, he was evidence-based. He was evidence-based. Okay. And so, let's show this. All right. So, a couple of verses. John 5, 36, for example. John 5, 36. Okay. See it there in your Bible. John 5 and 36. Okay. Now, Jesus said there, the works that my father gave me to do, the very works that I am doing, 
These works bear witness that the Father has sent me. Okay, Jesus is evidence-based. You see him there? These works. Now, if you keep reading there in John 5 and, and 39, Jesus said to some of those Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these very scriptures bear witness of me. You see, this is how Jesus worked. He was evidence-based. Okay. We remember from last week, we talked as Jesus sent a message to John in prison. Okay. He basically said, John, check out the evidence. What is it that you're hearing? Well, I'm hearing that the, the blind are seeing and the lame are walking and the lepers are, are cleansed and the, the deaf are hearing and the dead are raised up. John, remember, check your Bible. Check your Bible from Isaiah. Jesus, this is how Jesus operated. He was evidence-based. I love what he says in John 10. So I love it so much, I'm going to read it to you. John chapter 10, 37 and 38. John 10, 37 and 38. And you want to circle these if you haven't already lately. 37, he says, now listen to him. Listen to this challenge from Jesus. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. That's exactly how you ought to talk to people. For us, it would be, if this is not from the scriptures, then do not believe me. Please do not believe me. And that's, that's been our theme. That's been my theme as far as long as I can remember. If it's not in the Bible, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then certainly do not believe me. But, verse 38, if I do them, even though you do not believe me, this is the Lord speaking, if I do these works, even if you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. That's how it is. We got to have the evidence. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15, be ready always to give an answer to anyone who would ask you. We got to have the evidence. If, if we don't have the evidence, then, then here comes the personal testimonies. You know, we got that all around us in these religious groups. They, they want to share their testimony, their personal testimony, okay? Look, I could tell you, in fact, right now as I'm thinking about it, I, I'm think, I, could, I could tell you the day I was baptized into Christ. I, I can see it as clear as I'm seeing you right now. Okay. I, I could, and I could stand up here and give you the background details, and you could do the same for me, but guess what? That doesn't matter at all. Your experience, my experience, doesn't matter. That doesn't tell anybody anything with any credibility. Okay. What does the scripture say? The real question is first, number one, is it true? And secondly, can I demonstrate it to be true? That's the two big things. That's evidence-based. Is it true? And can I demonstrate it to be true? And I can and you can too. Okay. You can take the prophecies of Jesus. You can take the miracles of Jesus. You can take the resurrection of Jesus. You can take the recordings from the book of Acts. You can take the entire New Testament itself together. And you can show that this is true. And you can demonstrate that this is true. See. 
if we get away from being evidence-based, then we're going to start sharing our own experiences as if that is something credible, as if that is supposed to persuade somebody. That doesn't persuade anybody toward heaven, only what God says. If we're not evidence-based, then here comes not only the personal testimonies, but here comes the personal opinions as well. If you have a, a trial, if you have a criminal trial, and you've, and you've got your, your prosecutor, and, and you've got your lawyers, and you've got a jury, and you're called to witness, okay? They're not asking you for your opinion, okay? The only opinion that's going to mean anything is the jury later on. They're asking you as a witness, what, what did you see? What did you hear? What do you know? And is this, is this good information? Right. And so it's the same with us spiritually. What does, what does the text say? What does it say? What does it actually say to us? Not, it's not, you know, what does someone say that this text means? It's not, that, it's not that at all. It's not somebody's opinion. It's not... What does somebody say that this text means? What does the text actually say? That's where the evidence is. This is the second requirement. Is we've got to have the evidence. The great thing about having the evidence is that people can see it for themselves. You don't have to trust me. You don't have to trust anybody. You shouldn't trust anybody. See it for yourselves. There's something very stubborn about the facts. In John 11, this is a great example, so I just can't help but just say it to you. John 11:47, 47, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and many believed and some did not. <clears throat> and so some of the Pharisees, they came and reported what Jesus had done. You know, men are so such men. When men don't know what to do, what do they do? They have a meeting. They have a meeting. So John eleven forty seven. 47, here comes the Pharisees. They call the council together. What are we to do? We're going to have a meeting. Why are they so perplexed? Because they admit that Jesus has done these signs. There's no denying it. So what are we going to do? That's the very question that you can look in your own Bible. John eleven forty seven. 47. That's exactly what they say. He is doing these signs. What are we going to do? You know, I'd like to insert something there. I'd like to jump into that scene. Hey, what don't you believe? What are you going to do? Why don't you just try believing? You know? This is what you call um, negative frustration. Okay. That is, when you have the evidence right before you, yet you still do not want to believe, this is someone being personally, personally frustrated in a negative way toward their soul because they simply will not believe. They cannot come off their pride long enough uh, to believe. So the second requirement, we've got to have the evidence. And the third requirement is we've got to believe God. We've got to believe in God. Can you imagine trying to do God's work without God's help? And so, of course, we pray. And, of course, we, we trust in the gospel. And we believe in the power of the gospel unto salvation. Of course, we trust that, that our work is not in vain, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 
we believe in God. We trust in his, his promises. We trust in his providence. The very, the, the very thought of doing anything without God's help is, is ridiculous. Okay. But here's something else to believe about God. Believe that God can use you to reach somebody with the gospel. We must believe that. And we have several examples to inspire us. Did not God use Pilate's wife to convey a message? You remember that? Matthew 27, isn't it? Verse uh, 18, 19. She come to Pilate and said, you know, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered many things because of him in a dream. That is God using her to rebuke and to persuade people toward righteous behavior and thinking. Okay. So if he can use that obscure lady, why can't he, obscure, uh, why can't he use us? Certainly can. What about the Samaritan woman in John 4? The Samar she was a woman, first of all, big deal in that day, but a Samaritan woman, even bigger deal. But then a Samaritan woman who has been married five times, and the one she's with, she has a live-in lover. Okay, five marriages and a live-in live -in lover, and Jesus uses her to convey the truth about worship and the Messiah, his own, his own identity as being the Messiah. Jesus used a man who denied him outrightly, Peter. He used Paul who had persecuted him outrightly, violent way. He can use us. In fact, when we believe in God, it's not us that's working, it's God in us, according to Philippians 2 and 13. It is God who works in you. Philippians 2 and verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work His good pleasure. Notice that. His good pleasure. What is it that pleases God? What is it that makes God happy? Our, our retrieving the lost souls. Our telling others about uh, Jesus. We've got to believe in God. If He can use these folks, then certainly He can use you and I. So these three requirements this morning. First, We've got to feel the burden. Secondly, we've got to have the evidence. And thirdly, we've got to believe in God. Let's think about this song for a second before we close out. Will you not tell it today? You love this song because it is so personal. That's the way it ought to be. It's the way scripture is written. Will you not tell it today? Isn't that good? It's a great title. You, not George or somebody else, okay? Will you not tell it today? It's not about bringing a list of what is all wrong and expecting someone else to do something about it. What will you, will you not tell it today? See how personal that is? And it's really a personal question. Will you not? It's not telling you to do anything. It's asking you. Asking you, will you not tell it today? God made us that way. We are people of, 
of choice. We are people of intelligence. We can examine the evidence and we can see for ourselves which direction, where, where should we be spending our time, what should our emphasis be. Will you not tell it today? Today. Boy, that today gets real personal, doesn't it? Today. Today. Not just someone, someday, somehow, go and tell it. But what about you today? What about you today? The devil's most effective argument is the word tomorrow. He has used that. He's still using it. He will always be using it. That is his most effective argument. It works for him again and again and again. And we come back with today. Today, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. Today is the day of salvation for somebody, maybe for somebody, if we will just tell it today. Today. You know, we don't need more $1,000 speakers. We need a lot of one-day a lot of one-day speakers. We need, we, need, we need a lot of $1 defenders is what we need. That's what, the, that's what the Lord wants. When I say $1 defenders, I'm talking about each of us. Okay. He wants the common people. Like we read in Acts 8 and verse 4, those who were scattered due to the persecution around Stephen in those days, those who were scattered whenever we were preaching the word, they weren't paid a salary. They just, they had received a tremendous blessing. Of course, they're going to take it with them. Okay. And this should be a priority for us, no doubt about it. Can you imagine a, a policeman gets a call and the call is shots fired, shots fired. And so he runs to, to the mall where shots have been fired. Can you, is he going to stop somewhere and, and, and give out a seatbelt violation on his way? No, he's not going to get distracted. He's going to go where the shots have been fired. And that's just how, that's just how dangerous it is for souls uh, in our day in reality. Literally, yes. It is just that sort of situation. Shots have been fired. The devil's darts are out there everywhere. What are we doing? We can't get distracted. Okay. Will you not tell it today? Let me ask you this. Is, is anybody in God's sight, is anybody expendable? Is anybody expendable? Is, are there a few folks around here that just does not matter? Doesn't 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 still read, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Is, is that still good scripture? Is there anyone that's, that's expendable? This ideal of telling others ought to be just as natural as uh, anything we ever do. Influence, when you think about influence, influence is really a byproduct. Okay, let me try to explain this. What is a byproduct? A byproduct is something that's produced that wasn't really intended to be produced. Somebody goes out producing something or buying something, 
But as in that process of producing or buying or whatever, another blessing appears. They never really intended for that blessing to appear, but it appears and it's a blessing. I have a friend who has just been able to locate and buy some, a, a new office building. And it's, it's perfect for all of his needs. Okay. But in the very back, the guy who sold it to him, um, it was a jewelry store. And so in the very back, the guy, as he showed him the building, took him to the very back. And in a closet in the very back was this very nice, huge safe. And the guy said, I don't really want to move this. And so my friend who bought the, the office building, an unintended blessing byproduct was he got a brand new safe, a huge safe that he'd been wanting for, for quite a while. And he's able to put that to use as well. When we come to worship the Lord, why are we coming to worship? We are centrally focused on bringing praise and honor to him. We want to come here this morning to give our, our gratitude, full-hearted full -hearted gratitude to the Lord. Now, that's our purpose. Now, a byproduct of that is that we encourage one another as we so do. But the focus is that we're going to praise the Lord. And so in living for the Lord, let me ask you this. Are you happy and confident in Jesus right now? Is this who you are? Is this who you are? Are you joyful in Christ? And is this, does this describe your very being? This is, this is who you are. Okay. Let me go further. Is this who you are regardless of what anybody else does? Is this who you are regardless of any circumstance that may come up or not come up? Are you still joyful and happy and confident in Christ? Are you joyful, happy, and confident in Christ? And is this going to come out of you regardless of what anybody else either does or does not do? Is, does this describe you? Okay. If the answer, and it should be, it should be a resounding yes to all these questions, then there are going to be other people around you. You're, you're not focusing on the other people per se. Your focus is on serving the Lord. You're happy, you're confident in Him. But those around you have a, who have a good and honest heart, they're going to be attracted to your way of doing things. You see, influence is sort of like that. It's, it's like a... It's, it's sort of like a byproduct. Okay. And I'm, I'm fearful that we are missing that, that we're forgetting that, that we get so focused and we get so panicked on what are we going to do that we forget what the Lord wants us to do is to live our life. To live it. Be happy. Be joyful. Be a happy warrior. And then He will give the increase. He, he will bring about the attraction that needs to be brought about. We focus on what He wants us to focus on. And He will make sure that we influence in the way that we also so do. It seems, seems possible. Well, I've jabbered on enough. But I wanted to talk about this song. This is the fifth Sunday is our day of singing. And I like to take a song and just think about it. Think about it. I love this song. Will you not tell it today? We understand 
that on the other side of this is the heart. We're only 50% of the equation. We're 50% of the process. The other people, the, the, the people that, that might be influenced by us might not be. Their heart's condition has a lot to do with a lot of this. You know, two people can look at the same evidence and walk away in a different state of mind. Going back to like John eleven forty seven, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Many believed, but then there were those who did not believe. There are some who wanted to come in long and kill Lazarus. Same evidence. What's okay? Some had a good, honest heart. Some did not. There was a preacher who kept. He he kept. Sometimes we have to do this. He just kept begging another man that he knew about, you know, thinking more about the Lord. And so he would try and try, and he'd back off, try and try. And then finally the man that he was trying to, to influence was about to undergo some surgery, a rather serious surgery. So he goes to see him. He says, I hear you're having surgery. Why don't we, you know, why don't we get started on what we've been talking about in regard to the Lord. And the man said, well, I don't really want to think about that. So he pressed him a little bit and said, well, you're facing, you're facing these things, and this is pretty serious. Uh, why don't you, you need to give this some consideration. He said, i tell you what, once I get on the table, talking about the surgery table, he said, once I get on that surgery table, then I might give it some thought. Isn't that amazing? How hard can the heart get? It's, it's hard to imagine. It can get pretty hard. Some of the hardness of the heart and the distractive, distractive nature of the heart and minds and lives, we can do nothing about, but we can give it a great effort. Will you not tell it today? Will you not tell it? today. Will you come this morning? Will you come confessing wrong? Will you come making your life right with God? Will you come ready to repent and be baptized for forgiveness? Will you come this morning? Let's all stand together and sing for the temple.